Welcome to Realty Bites, conversations on real estate and lifestyle, the podcast that empowers you to make informed decisions about your real estate investments and create your dream lifestyle. Join me, your host, Evelyn Lopez, and industry experts each week for timely insights, tips, and tools to navigate the complex world of real estate. From market trends and financing to savvy investments, design and decor, we cover everything you need to secure the home you've always wanted. Join us on Realty Bites Conversations and embark on an exciting journey towards a better home and a better lifestyle. Are you wondering about mortgage refinancing? Are you coming up to the time where you have to refinance your mortgage? The term is coming due and maybe you're a little bit concerned because mortgage rates are higher than what you originally had on your previous mortgage. Perhaps you're in that stage of life where you're looking to retire and you're wondering how you can use the equity in your home to live the life that you want to live. Mortgage refinancing can seem a little bit overwhelming, but today we're going to break it down with our guest, Waleed Mutar, who is a mortgage agent with Garland Mortgages. And we're going to be talking about mortgages and refinancing. Everything you want to know and everything that you need to know. So I hope you enjoy the show. So welcome to the podcast. And today we have invited back Waleed are with Garland Mortgages. Waleed visited us a little while back and spoke about fundamentals of mortgages. And it was such a great conversation that I've asked Waleed to come back again today and speak to us about refinancing. So good morning, Waleed. Welcome back. Yeah. Good morning, Evelyn. Thank you for having me back. Great to be here. We loved our last conversation. So before we begin, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you uh, work and uh, what you do? Yeah. So my name is Waleed Matahar. I've been here, uh, I'm sorry, I've been a part of the industry for many years now. And Girland Mortgage is the company that I opened here in Mississauga. Uh, we're a franchise under the Get a Better Mortgage brokerage, and the even bigger brokerage above them is the Mortgage Center. So, long story short, we're affiliated with them, but Carolyn Mortgage runs and operates on its own. And our, our company is based on you know three fundamental things: uh, the client experience is at the center of everything. Uh, we want to make sure that you know the client's fully aware of all the products they're getting into. You know, there's full transparency and. and, and so much so that we're bringing on more people this year just to make sure that that client care elements is taken care of. Um, and another uh, big, big point for us is transparency. Uh, you know, we find that in this industry, there isn't too much uh, these days. So a lot of people are doing what's in their own best interest. We, we lay out all the groundwork and the paperwork for everybody. Everybody could see what we're seeing. And that way we work as a team, as a cohesive unit to make sure that you get into the home uh, or, you know, you get whatever you're looking for done properly. Uh, and last but not least is, uh, you know, honesty. We understand that you know there are many different ways people try to get mortgages these days none of which we partake in uh we want to make sure that everything we do is uh fully legal for you and for ourselves just to make sure that there are no issues down the line right also and so what i wanted to talk today about was financing and it's a really big topic for a lot of different reasons right so uh maybe you can shed a light on some of the reasons why you've seen 
people approach you for a refinance? Yeah, so the possibilities or the, the end result of a refinance are limitless, but some of the big ones are things like debt consolidation, wanting to purchase another property, um, or general inheritance, uh, gift to children. The, the list goes on and on, but the primary focus of a refinance is to pull equity out of your home as cash for whatever purpose is best suited for you, things like renovations and all the other topics I just touched on. And what is the biggest question that you get asked about in terms of refinancing? So generally speaking, it's how much can I get? <laughs> uh, especially with uh, what's been going on with the market back in 2021, home values were skyrocketing, rates were dropping, everybody was looking to refinance. So it was probably the most, the largest portion of my business last year. With that being said, now things are a little bit different. Rates are higher and values are dropping. So people are more concerned with how much they can get and what the use is for uh, can be impacted. For instance, if you're looking to purchase another property, but now you can't pull out 200,000, you can only get 180. Well, all of a sudden you might not be looking to purchase another home. And so what are some of the ways in which a person can access the equity in their home? Yeah. So the, the primary way is to, to deal with your mortgage professional, either your existing lender or a mortgage broker to see if the lender will give you the money that you're looking for. So the process is generally the same. We're going to look at your income, your credit score. We're going to build a file. We're going to see, uh, we're going to assess your needs, see exactly what insight you're looking for. And we're going to try to determine if we can get that money out of your property. Uh, ideally with the same lender, because that will avoid any, you know, breakage or any penalties of that nature. But it might make sense to also break in and take it to a new lender because let's say your current mortgage at 5%, but another lender has a mortgage at 4%, the penalty is going to cost you 300 bucks. Well, that's a given. You're going to save that money back in a matter of months. And so can you actually break down those payments, see the difference between keeping their existing lender versus moving um, to someone? Alice and maybe paying the penalty? Absolutely. Yeah. So that that's kind of the legwork that we do. We're we're gonna show you the hard numbers to show you if this even makes sense. Because of course, if it's not feasible, there better be a very good reason to take out that money. Uh, because if there isn't, you're just gonna end up paying for something you might not necessarily have needed to pay for. So somebody has a home and they live there for a few years and they've built up some equity in their property. And you say to them, Okay, we can now get you an additional We'll take your example, $600,000, something that you'd want to do. So if they were to pull out that $600,000, that it means that they had to qualify for that amount, correct? Correct, correct. So they're qualifying for the amount that they currently have on the mortgage plus the new amount. Exactly. If they were going to do it like that and just uh, keep, or would they? Would they keep their existing mortgage and get second yeah yeah so say you have a mortgage right now you're near three of a five-year fixed okay penalty is huge it might not make sense to break that mortgage so what we would do is we go back to your existing lender see if we can put a second mortgage in place with the same lender um, and many of the big banks are great for this because they've developed uh, what's called a collateral mortgage. So you're, you're, you're going to get a line of credit product for let's say a million dollars of which you have 500,000 existing as a, a, your current mortgage and you need another 500,000. Well, we can add two loan segments within that $1 million line of credit. Um, so it all remains in the first position. You're getting premium rates. You don't have to break anything. Now it, it can be a logistical nightmare if you have too many of these segments. 
So, uh, for instance, like one mortgage might come due, let's say it's 200, 200, 200, 200. Um, one mortgage might come due next year, one might come due three years from now, so on and so forth. But I mean, other than that headache, this is a, a very beneficial way of getting it done. If that's not an option, if your lender doesn't provide that option, then yeah, we would need to look at, you'll have your existing first mortgage, we'll put a second mortgage behind your first mortgage. And only a few institutional lenders do that, but a lot of private lenders as well. Right. And so that second mortgage would be at a higher rate. Generally speaking, yes. Yeah. There are some banks that will go behind other lenders. For instance, if you have a first national first mortgage, TD Bank will actually go behind first national. So you can get a line of credit with TD, in which case the rate is going to be slightly higher, but it's not going to be as high as you know a private lender would be. Okay. And so how does the lender qualify you for this line of credit or this second mortgage? Is it how they will qualify you for in terms of a first position mortgage? Exactly. That's exactly it. Ever since B-17, that's when the new regulations stress test came out in November 2017, we're required to qualify you on the total lending amount. So even though your existing mortgage might be at 1%, the new mortgage that you're getting is at 5%, let's say, well, we actually have to qualify you for the whole amount on the stress test rate of the 5% that you mortgage request. So it, it definitely is more difficult to qualify. It's not impossible, but you know, given where rates are today, you might not be getting as much as you think you're getting. So before you start looking again, it's always best to be pre-approved and you can obviously get pre-approved or a, uh, a refinance or a line of credit, correct? Correct. Yeah. The main difference being is we usually can't hold rates for refinances, but if we get the minimum documents needed, we could actually submit it to the lender and that'll come as a rate hold once we have an active application on the system. Okay. So what would be the difference between doing a refinance and putting a line of credit in place? Are they considered the same or are they different? Yeah. So they're they're actually considered one and the same. Um, a line of credit is just a form of that equity take, take out. You can take it as hard cash, meaning increasing your mortgage amount. You can take it as a line of credit that is deferring the withdrawal until you actually need it at any given point in time, or just, you know, having it there as a safety net. You can also do like a reverse mortgage, which is kind of a combo of the two more, I would say closer to a line of credit where you can borrow up to your approval amounts, your maximum amount whenever you need to. So if you were to do a line of credit, you wouldn't start paying payments until you actually pulled from it. So if you were to do it a second mortgage meet your use in the month right away and you'd start your payments right away? Exactly. Yeah. So once that money is deposited into your accounts, whether it be from withdrawing from a line of credit or from the new second mortgage, you're paying interest on it right at the get-go. Uh, think of it as your credit card. If you use your credit card, all of a sudden there's a balance, you're going to be paying interest over the next month. But if you don't use it, it just sits there available for future use. So that's a definite benefit of the line of credit. The one big thing is, is if you know you're definitively going to be using that money right away and you're going to be carrying a money on a line of credit, it doesn't make sense necessarily to have it on a line of credit because the only payments you're going to be making are interest-only payments. Uh, so you won't actually be bringing down the balance of the line of credit It'll kind of sit there in limbo and each month you're only paying the interest on it. It's almost better uh, from a um, you know, financially prudent perspective to, to put it into a mortgage if you're able to handle that cash flow. Okay, so here's a question for you. So you can do sure. a mortgage and you can do this line of credit. Line of credit, your payments are lower because it's interest. Right. However, isn't a line of credit 
happen that they can do lump sum payments at pay down? Yeah, it's, it's not to say that some mortgage products aren't either, but a line of credit is definitely the most flexible way to borrow. It just, it depends on your needs. Uh, if cash flow is a concern, then for sure a line of credit is probably the best bet because like you said, you're only making those interest payments. But if you're looking to aggressively pay down your mortgage, it might not be the best option depending on how much excess cash you have. So again, this is where it's prudent for a buyer to come and sit down with you as a mortgage uh, broker so that you can really find out what their situation is, what their cash flow is, what their intentions, their time span, what it is that they could do. And then you can advise them, I guess, as to what the best product would be. And the best product, as we spoke of before, isn't always necessarily just interest rate. It's the options that come with it and how they fit into their their life. Exactly. So if a client is self-employed and they don't claim a lot of income on paper, can they still qualify for a refinance? Yeah. So I, it's funny. I had a doctor yesterday. She pays herself from her corporation as a dividend. Uh, and she only takes a nominal salary, maybe something like 60000 a year. But her business is making like over a million dollars a year, uh, an absurd amount. So she goes to her bank. The bank looks at her T1s and her NOAs, and they're like, the most we can get you is 100000 which which I thought was hilarious because you're looking at somebody who's like, you know, at the, at the top of society in a lot of people's eyes, so super well-educated, uh, and they, they can't even qualify for a mortgage. So yes, the short answer is yes, you can definitely get a mortgage if you're self-employed. It might look a little bit different though. So what I mean by that is instead of looking at your tax documents to determine what your usable income is, we're going to actually look at your bank statements. And from your bank statements, we're going to derive based on the business's you know, gross revenue or their deposits versus their net expenses. We're going to determine what the usable income is from the statements. And then it's going to tell a more true story of what you actually earn. Because let's be real, a lot of self-employed individuals are trying to avoid paying heavy taxes, especially when you're making that kind of money. And so if someone was looking to refinance, um, what is the maximum amount that a lender will give them if they were refinancing their existing property? So this goes back to as well when the stress test came into play, that B-17 rules and regulations. Uh, now the maximum loan to value an institutional lender, and when I say institutional, I'm talking about you know your bank lenders or your monoline lenders or your credit unions not the private guys. The maximum loan to value is up to 80% of the lending amount. Oh, sorry, 80% of the property's value. So we'll generally get an appraisal to determine what the value is, and you can get 80% of that as a mortgage. There are private institutions that'll let you go over and above that, but you know, especially in a declining market, those could be quite risky. And so if somebody had property A, they bought 80%, and they bought property B, now they want to buy property C, how does that work? Are they able to do then 80% of property C or? Yeah, so we can go 80% on properties A, B, and C. So the idea is if you bought property, property A, and you've had that property for five years, and at the time you took it to the maximum, then maybe we'd move over to property B, see how much we can get from there. And if we couldn't get enough, we'd go back to property A, uh, because there are ways to contest an appraisal. I mean, the market is so dynamic in and of itself, as I'm sure you, I'm sure, I'm sure you would say, uh, you know, a house is only worth what somebody would pay for it. So all of a sudden, if a home down the street goes for sale, 
and it's well above the traditional area or traditional prices. Uh, maybe we can use that home as an example to bump the appraisal value. And that's all stuff, uh, good relationships the mortgage broker should have, um, you could take advantage of. And in terms of buying subsequent properties uh, for investors, for example, how many properties will they pull from down the road? Is there a limit where they say after you've done three, no more, or is there such a number? Yeah, so it'll it'll vary from lender to lender. Your traditional big banks, you know, TD, Scotia Banks, they're going to be in and around five properties. So that would be five investment properties, one primary residence, and one secondary home for a total of seven. But generally speaking, some lenders are going to allow you to go up to 10 doors. Some lenders will have no limit, but they'll only use a certain amount of rental income from a certain amount of houses. For instance, you have 20 houses, but we can only use rental income from five. We have to just ignore the other the other properties, but include all their payments. So that was leading up to my next question. So when they are looking to refinance another home, what's the process? They obviously have to qualify for it. It's their income Plus, if they've got rental properties, all of that rental income or partial of that rental income, you said it could be capped at a few properties, or does it just totally vary on the uh, lending institution? So it totally varies on the lender, but generally speaking, you know, the, the, the most common investor I would say I see has one or two rental properties. So for those those investors that fit in that bucket, uh, we can use all of the rental income that's provided. How we use it is going to vary from lender to lender. So for instance, some lenders will take 50% of that rental income, include the mortgage payments, the property taxes, condo fees if applicable, and heating costs, and add that 50% of the rental income to their total income. There's other lenders who will uh, not include the property taxes, heating costs, condo fees, and take 50% of that rental income and actually subtract it from the mortgage payment. So it's important to deal with a broker because the latter, so you know, subtracting it from the mortgage payment, that actually has a bigger effect on what you qualify for. So it's important to, for whoever you're dealing with to understand those those nuances to help you get to where you want to get. Right. And so that's the advantage of dealing with a mortgage broker because you are dealing with all of the different lenders who have, as, as, as we're learning, very different uh, requirements. Right? Correct. Exactly. And there's a lot of them and they change quickly. So if your plan is to purchase another home and you know that you have equity current home. What is the first thing that you should do before signing a purchase agreement? Yeah. So you want to be very cognizant of how that new purchase and how that new refinanced mortgage is going to affect your qualification. So it's almost, I would say it's absolutely imperative to get a pre-approval done. Factoring in two applications, you're going to have application one, where it's going to show the refinance amount, the money that you're taking out and the new payments. You're going to use that information on application two for the new purchase. And by running the numbers beforehand, you're going to ensure that there's no issues with the new purchase numbers, uh, no issues from the lender's perspective, because the last thing you want to do is say, I have a ton of equity in my current home. I'm going to go ahead and sign this purchase, and then I'm going to deal with everything else after. Well, what if after we do the refinance, you don't no longer qualify for that new purchase? You just don't want to be in that position. So it's imperative to get the, the numbers crunched beforehand. And do lenders look at the numbers differently if somebody is looking to buy an investment property to rent out versus maybe co-sign for their kids out there? On versus buying a second resident. Yeah. So your your rate is going to vary based on the use of the property. 
Um, most of the time, a lender will add a small premium to their rates when it's for investment purposes. And when I say investment, I'm talking about you know tenants and properties. So you being a landlord and renting the property out. If you're purchasing the home for owner-occupied use or for second home use, maybe like you said, co-signing for a kid, those are typically where you're going to see the best rates available. And in terms of the lender, when they're co-signing, your name would be on title on that agreement, that mortgage as well. Exactly. It's important to note the difference there. Uh, when you're a co-signer, you're actually responsible for the 100% of the mortgage payment as well. So if you have things going on in your life, you might need to refinance on your own. You want to make sure that you're also thinking that when you're co-signing for the other person compared to being a guarantor where you're only on the mortgage but not on title of the home. Um, there's some advantages there as well. Um, easier to break, lower fees, don't have to repay land transfer tax. I won't go into the technicalities of it, but yeah, there is an important depreciation to make. That's great. And is the interest rate for refinance the same as uh, buying your first principal property? Generally speaking, yes. Uh, it all depends on the use of the home. Um, so if you're purchasing a home um, for your own owner-occupied use and you're refinancing that same home, generally speaking, the rates are going to be identical. The only difference is when you purchase a home, if you purchase with less than 20% down, you're getting those insured mortgage rates, the lowest rates on the market. Uh, whenever you do a refinance, you already own the home. Insured mortgages are only for purchases. So you're not going to see those same rates in that same bucket. But if the home is tenanted and you purchase it as a rental or you refinance it as a rental, then yes, those rates are going to be higher, but the same comparatively. And I guess the only maybe uh, instance where you could purchase or refinance and have a conventional mortgage on the new property is that you had some of your own cash and you wanted to pull from your existing property to give you a conventional down. Yeah. So as long as you can get, as long as you can get to that 20% figure, whether it comes from equity or a combination of equity and savings or equity and gift, uh, then, then that's really the differentiating factor in getting a conventional mortgage on the new purchase or a high ratio mortgage on the new purchase. Okay. So now we have someone and they say, yep, this is what I want to do. I want to refinance. I'm going to purchase another property. So what are the costs involved for refinance? Like, and what are the things that people would have to look at? Yeah. So a lot of lenders are very cognizant of this business. Uh, refinance business is, I would say, one of the more sought after right up there with high ratio, which is the safest kind of mortgages to have. So banks are pretty competitive in the space. Most of the time, you're going to get the three major fees covered. That's your appraisal, your discharge, and your legal fees uh, when you switch from one institution to another. That's important to know. If you stay with the same lenders, you're going to be responsible for those fees on your own. Uh, but a lot of the time, we can wrap these into the new mortgage request. When I speak to these fees, Fees, the, the appraisal fee that's generally going to range from 300 to 600. That's a fee to get the third party appraiser to assess what the value of the home is to decide how much we can borrow. The legal fee that's going to be around 1200 to $1,500. That's your lawyer's cost for amending the charge, the mortgage charge with the land transfer board. Um, and then your discharge fee that this one is if applicable. Uh, it's if you're switching from one lender to another, you actually have to discharge the existing mortgage. Let's say it's with TD. You have to pay a $300 discharge fee there. And then uh, the registration fee is part of the lawyer fees on the new, with the new lender. So now instead of TD as a mortgager, it's going to say Scotiabank or whoever you might deal with. And so that $300 discharge fee that you're talking about is if the mortgage is coming to you. If the mortgage wasn't coming to you and you were discharged. 
I guess, canceling that mortgage, you would have a discharge fee plus a penalty, correct? Sort of. Um, if, if you're switching from one lender to another, that's when you pay the discharge. So even if you're staying with the same lender and the mortgage is coming due, there's not necessarily a discharge fee to stay with that existing lender. It's only when you're, when you're, re, when you're changing the, the mortgage or whoever, whoever's giving you the mortgage. Um, but you're right. If you're breaking that early, before it comes due, then there's definitely going to be a penalty that has to be accounted for in our refinance numbers. Because the last thing you want is, you know, you, you purchased a home, you've got all your numbers in line, and the one thing you, or you forgot to account for is the penalty. Sometimes those should be, you know, in the tens of thousands. So you're saying that the new lender may cover the discharge fee, that $300, but obviously they're not going to cover Exactly. I haven't seen it in a very long time where they've been willing to cover the penalty. That's something that they have to keep in mind. So how do you know if it's in your best interest to refinance your home? So it really depends on the client's needs. Uh, they'll come to us, generally speaking, and they'll say, this is what we're thinking of doing. And we'll say, okay, like, here's what we need. Uh, you know, general income documents. We want to see the existing mortgage statement, property taxes, lease agreements, if it's being rented. And from there, we'll determine what they qualify for. Okay, so that's great. Now now we know what figure they can get, but does it make sense? So here at, at, at this stage in the process, we're going to figure out, you know, what what is that penalty? Like, are you actually coming due? Is this all going to line up perfectly? Or is there going to be a heavy cost involved? And if there is a heavy cost involved, are you saving enough in terms of interest rate for the same mortgage amount for it to make sense? Let's say it doesn't make sense. There's a heavy cost involved. That is really up to the client. So what, what is the purpose of these funds? You know, um, we, we see some pretty dire circumstances where the money had to come no matter what it was going to cost. And unfortunately, you know, we, we just try to lessen the blow. But for other clients, we're like, oh, like I'm debating, I'm doing a resident putting it in the swimming pool now versus putting it in next year. Well, well, we'll break down the numbers. We'll let you know exactly what it's going to cost and that decision is yours to make. And just to clarify one last time, a line of credit is considered to be a refinance? Correct. Yeah. Anytime you're giving yourself the ability to take money out of your home, you're refinancing. And so um, here's a question for you. So as homeowners get older and they've lived in their home, long time, they eventually end up paying it off. And right. very excited, I paid it off. And they may have had a line of credit on that property. And sometimes they want to get rid of that line of credit because they say, ah, the money. I normally say, if you can leave it on, leave it on. Because a lot of reasons, right? It's it's accessible money if you need it. You got that money when you were working and now you're, you know, you're retired. So you wouldn't qualify for as much. Do you think that it's a good thing to a line of credit on a property wipes them off. Just paid off. Absolutely, uh, for sure. And one of the big reasons that you just mentioned, you likely will never qualify for that money again. Once you stop working, that's a huge loss of income. Most people go to a pension or their RRSPs. You know, that's a significant income decrease. And all lenders care about when they're lending you money is how much do you make. That's priority number one. So definitely, you know, if you're nearing retirement, it's always worthwhile to put a line of credit on your property. Another reason from a security perspective, once you have that line of credit registered against your home, nobody could go in and fraudulently put a line of credit against your property. Now, is it going to happen often? Probably not. You'd have to jump a lot of hoops, but there is always that chance. People sell your property fraudulently. That's also occurred when there's a line of credit. It's not easy to do that because they've got to discharge that mortgage or line of credit before they are able to transfer ownership to a new buyers. Exactly. Exactly. Um, any other thoughts you would like to leave our listeners with in terms of refinancing? Yeah. So the the opportunities for refinance are really endless. Um, we, we, we do it for a number of reasons. Like when the market was really good 
and rates were super low, people were refinancing to invest in other parts of their lives, maybe with their financial planner, so on and so forth, because they weighed the cost of the investment. I'm paying you know, 2% for my mortgage, but I'm getting back 6% for my investment return. So in, in those cases, it makes sense. I would say if you're thinking of refinancing, make sure you 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 value what your the intended use for that money is for. Don't just refinance for the sake of taking money out. And if you are going to do it like that, make sure you get a line of credit. Um, and everybody should have a line of credit. Realistically speaking, if you have that kind of equity built up in your home, it's the cheapest method of borrowing out there. When it's secured against your home, your interest rate is going to be likely prime plus a small premium. Let's say prime plus 0.5, so 6.95% as of today. Uh, whereas your credit cards, you know, you're looking at 19.99%. Why wouldn't you want to borrow your money at a lower cost uh, than putting it on your credit card unless you get some great travel benefits? But uh, you know what, I'm, what I mean by that, uh, even going for a car loan or something of that nature. And I know sometimes too, people have got uh, so many different payments that they're doing, the con payment, the, the uh, payment for the appliances, the payment for the visa cards, and they're paying all this stuff everywhere. And it's a big monthly number. So sometimes consolidating that debt into, you know, just a line of credit where they can pay off all that stuff, and just pay into the line of credit or whatever makes their payments less, which enables them to save more money to pay off that debt. Yeah, for sure. And what a lot of people don't know is once you have that balance on your home equity line of credit, you can actually lock it into a mortgage segment. So all of a sudden rates come down, you know, you're paying interest only payments. Well, now you might as well put it in a mortgage and, you know, really accelerate the payment cycle. Um, another thing that people don't really think about is when you're buying and selling a home, if you don't have access to equity and don't really have a good nest egg in terms of savings, well, where is that deposit money going to come from? Um, um, you know, you you're need to put in a deposit with any offer you placed. You want to make sure that you have that deposit ready to go. Otherwise, you might miss out on that home that you're looking at. So That's a conversation that I have with a lot of buyers. They have a home and they know they have the equity and they know they qualify for the new home. But when I say, and now we're going to talk about deposit. Do you have a deposit? Because it's required either at the time that the offer is submitted or within 24 hours of being accepted. And then they kind of go, well, um, I could <laughs> release from here or there and it's going to take three weeks or whatever. So having that line of credit definitely gets you freedom in life. I just say the main thing is to be sure and say this one is responsible with that person sitting there. And that's the honest to God truth, especially as of today, you can borrow up to 65% of your home value as a line of credit. So, you know, the home values have been skyrocketing so that it can open the door to some financial distress if you're not responsible with that cash. But actually coming towards the end of the year, there's going to be some big changes to the line of credits, uh, which I'm sure we'll speak about on another episode, but it's going to be a lot more restrictive and it's going to be more difficult to access that equity. So that's something that they may want to look into putting into place before those changes come into 100%. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, whenever a renewal cycle ends, we always recommend adding it on at that point because obviously it, may, it has no cost. But with that timeline of you know these the, the changes to the home equity plans coming in at the end of the year, uh, I believe it's fiscal end of the year for most lenders. So for your big banks, it's going to be November 1st. Most other lenders, it'll be December 31st. You might want to uh, start inquiring with your mortgage professional to see what options are out there. And what would the cost be for putting in a line of credit? So aside from the standard costs, your appraisal did discharge and legal costs, um, you might also be incurring a penalty. So you want to make sure that you're assessing that um, and making sure you have all the numbers in place. And if our listeners would like more information, how would they best contact you? 
Yeah, so I'm uh, our office is here in Mississauga, Garland Mortgage Solutions. You can see the logo right back there. Um, otherwise, you can reach out on any of our socials, Garland Mortgage uh, on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, my name's Walid Mutahar. You can reach me at Walid at GarlandMortgage.ca, and my cell phone number is everywhere on the internet two eight nine four three nine five triple one. Feel free to call me, text me. I'm always on my phone. And can you just spell your name for those that want to email you? Sure. Yeah. Sorry. I should always start with that because I've, I've seen it in a million different ways. Uh, W-A-L-I-D at garlandmortgage.ca. Well, thanks again so much for spending some time with us and uh, providing all this great insight today. Our topic, which was refinancing. Thank you again. Thank you, Evelyn. appreciate you having me here.